You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Don Crouch, COO of Global Regulatory and Public Policy for Deloitte. Don has spent over 20 years of her career with Deloitte in both internal strategic roles and client-facing consulting roles across financial services, pharmaceutical, life sciences, manufacturing, and the public sector. In her current COO role, she leads talent, finance, operations, and strategic projects for the business unit. A common thread throughout her career has been focusing on initiatives around people engagement and inclusion for the firm. In this episode of Scale and Culture, Ron and Don discuss why words really matter and how to use language to align hundreds of thousands of Deloitters around the globe, how to use a collaborative mindset to execute strategic global initiatives in ways that are not disruptive to local leaders, and Deloitte's experience with giving autonomy to their associates by moving away from compliance to professional obligations. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today I'm very excited to have with us Don Croach. Don, welcome. Thanks, Ron. Happy to be here. Yeah, I was uh, I was excited to have, you know, to have you on based on our, our first conversation because Deloitte is a huge international brand. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I've done business with Deloitte, know lots of Deloitte. Do I call them Deloiters? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay, that's a good. Maybe I'm coining that a nickname for for staff. No, lots of Deloiters, great people. I've had neighbors that are Deloiters. Yeah, I don't know if Deloiter sounds good. It sounds like they're loiterers. Like, right? <laughs> yeah, the more I hear it, the more I'm like, maybe. Yeah, that's okay. maybe. We, yeah, let's not take that to corporate. Let's let's <laughs> let's get rid of that one. We'll edit it out. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's some fascinating topics. Um, and before we get to those, Don, tell me more. You know, culture. Um, you're into the, uh, some complexities on culture, which I think are going to be, you know, uh, lead to great conversations today. But tell me your, what was Don Croach's aha moment that culture was important on your journey? When was it, did, did you have this, I'm going from corporate Deloitte to, whoa, we need to do things differently? Or was it before that? Tell me about your aha moment uh, of the moment you thought, you know, there's got to be something to this culture thing. Yeah, yeah. And it started... Oh, well, I would love to say it started immediately. It didn't. It took a little time when, when I was looking at what we were trying to do and our environment, we have a regulate, regulated side of our business and a large non-regulated portion. And with that regulated side comes compliance type activities. We have to do certain things. We have to do them in a certain way. We have to meet certain certain regulatory requirements. And we were trying to push that issue and get people to listen to us and comply. And then all of a sudden it clicked, you know, it's, it's more than compliance. These, these requirements that we have are professional obligations. It's because of what the work that Deloitte does. So it's driven by the work, not driven by some outside do your time and expense type type activity. And it was that, that was kind of the aha moment was, oh, maybe, maybe we should look at this differently because it's not just go check a box and we're good. It's more than that. It's driven by something deeper than that. Yeah, right. But but it, it is more, I, I will say, you know, it it has more complexity than a regular business environment because of, and, and maybe for those listening, is there two layers? Is there regulation 
is Deloitte under some government regulation based on the market you're in? And then there's customer regulation. Is that what you're saying? So it's more driven by the governments and so local jurisdictions. So you you mentioned at the beginning that we are we are global. So we have US um, US regulations, which are driven by the SEC. Each jurisdiction is going to have their own. In the UK, you're going to have the FRC. So pick your favorite country. You're going to have a local regulator that looks after the audit practice. So it's that piece of our business that it's that it's impacting. So, so you mentioned, and I love the, the the wording here: professional obligations versus compliance. Tell us more. Go 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 in more into detail there. Yeah, yeah. So when I think about compliance, I think about getting your expenses in on time, getting your time your timesheet completed completed weekly. But professional obligations, it's it's deeper. It's more. So it is. For us, they are driven by a professional standard for the audit practice. So auditors have a whole set of rules that they need to follow when conducting an audit. Similarly, um, for the clients that we do audit, we can't do a whole other set of activities. We can't provide specific services to them. So it's really so that we're protecting the integrity of that audit. So if you think about that and think about how the business operates, it is a professional obligation. It's because we do what we do that we have to meet these obligations. So we used the switch, like the movement from compliance to that professional obligations gave us kind of freedom to say it's non-negotiable. So these professional obligations are non-negotiable. It's because we're Deloitte and this is what we do. So it gave it a little more gravity, a little more seriousness. But, but and I hear you, but even when I hear that language <clears throat> and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like, like, Compliance is the stick, you know, it's kind of, it feels like command and control. You're going to do, you will, you will comply. Professional obligation, when I hear that done, it makes me feel like I'm now responsible. I have the autonomy to mess this up or not versus follow direction. It feels like it's back on to me and it feels, it feels, um, yeah, it, 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 it lands better. Am I right on that? You know, did, did people feel, did they embrace that a little better? Just the language alone? Yeah. Yeah, we did find that it changed the tone of it, changed how people received the message and they did start looking at it differently. So it did become less eye rolling. Uh, I have to do this because the people at the top are telling me to, oh, wow, I'm this is, yeah, this is on me and I'm responsible for the brand, I elevated as far as you can, the brand of Deloitte. It, it kind of lies on me to protect that. Right, right, right. Okay, so so interesting. And so- when you were making the switch, what were some of the hiccups during that process? Did people challenge that, that we're just so used to, hey, why are we even talking like this? This is, we, we are compliance driven. Why are we even, this sounds like rainbows and unicorns. Yeah, there were people who were very tied to, to the term compliance. And um, interestingly enough, compliance resonated across the globe. So people knew and would recognize that term. So it was, it was a switch to get everybody comfortable with kind of the why we were doing it. And we would go through this, the, the messaging and consistent messaging of this is because we are Deloitte and this is because we are, we have to do these things. It's non-negotiable. So we kind of walked everybody through that. And what I'd like to say it happened overnight. It took, it took some time to get, to get the organization there. Of course. And, and sorry, how many employees are at Deloitte? A gazillion? A gazillion? <laughs> so globally, I think we are around 330,000. Wow. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And so um, did that process, 
Was there a why at every level? And uh, one of uh, my uh, mentors, Cynthia Trudell, who spent a lot of time with Pepsi, she nailed me one time. I was like, you know, we're going to push this message out. And she said, you know, you're missing the, the, there can't be one why, Ron, there has to be a why at each level. Did Deloitte go through that? And what did those whys look like? You know, why, why am I going from compliance to professional obligation? What's in it for me as the auditor in Sao Paulo or as the compliance person in Copenhagen? Or, or was that part of the strategy? I'm curious. We did, we did tailor the messaging depending on the who, who it was going to. And that meant who up above us and who like yeah. the practitioners across, across the globe. Um, because if you think about it, we were trying to not, I'm going to say sell, it's like sell the people yeah, above us, no, I get, get it. them on board because they were critical and key to kind of helping us push the message out. Yeah. And then it was really crafting that the message of the why. So people, the people across the globe would embrace it and kind of accept it. And, and was there, was there a pivotal moment, i.e. did those who anchored in compliance, was there this, oh my goodness, Ron Lovett has been here for 30 years and he's up in arms about this and he might leave and pivot to his own practice or leave and go to KPMG. Maybe we shouldn't do this or not. Was there those types of uh, speed bumps? No, we were lucky that we didn't hit too many of those. Mm -hmm. It was really just, it got to a point where the length, the terminology and the language started to catch on yep. and then it was okay. Now we're getting there. We just see that point. We're like, okay, we're getting there. We start seeing other people's presentations, keep the same language so we just had to keep keep marching down that path. We're like, all right, we're getting there. We're getting there. So consistency was key. Yes. Yeah, I heard you say yes. everyone's starting to use that language. So that wasn't just at the global level. Hey, use it locally. Put it in your presentations. Use it in onboarding. It's use this language now. Drop like it's almost like when you go to a Word document and say replace this with that. Right. Yes. Yes. And we we did along the way provide materials. We would share PowerPoint decks where we use the terminology share like sample emails where we kind of push that, push that language. So we could just get to that consistently, like you were just saying. Oh, that's great. And, yeah. And we knew when other people's presentations, when we would be sitting in a meeting and you saw it up there, you're like, all right, we're getting there. Yeah. It's coming full circle. Now we didn't, yeah. we didn't push that one out. That was created by someone at a local office. That's great. Excellent. And, and so that had to have taken lots of patience, right? It didn't happen overnight as to, to what you said. So what did that look like full cycle? Was that a 12 month, 24, 36? It Still was ongoing. between 12 and 24, 12 and 24 months. Cause it took the, with the aha moment was like, all right, this is, this is where we need to go to then going through because we are such a large organization going through the, okay, we need to go up. We need to go out. So it did take some time and crafting, crafting the language. So it was pretty precise in what we wanted it to be. Right. Right. It's, it's interesting. So let's move to, you know, cause, cause you have, regional offices, and then global shared services, correct? Yeah. How does an organization like Deloitte get consistency from a cultural value, shared belief perspective at, at, from, from regions to global? That sounds like a very complex Rubik's Cube. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's the ultimate matrix. So the way, so our team, the global regulatory and public policy team, we are about just over a hundred people. So we sit in global and kind of set regulatory and public policy points of view. We manage external engagement, that type of thing for, for Deloitte Global. Then 
as part of our network, we would have those leaders in each of our of our firms. So we would have leaders in the US, leaders in the UK, all across across the globe. So when we are thinking about something we want to push from the global level, so it could be a point of view on sustainability, a point of view on, on a specific regulatory piece, we um we think about, all right, this is what, this is the messaging and how we want it to be done, how we want it to set the tone we want it to set. And then what do we need to do for any local nuances? Um, how do we balance something not looking US driven? That's a, that's a big thing we, right. we often face because, and the US is a large piece of Deloitte, but the sensitivities around, if we were pushing something globally, it can't be US centric, it can't be US driven or viewed perceived that way. So it's really a balance of the local sensitivities, knowing what we want to do and kind of looking at how, how are we going to get that successfully out there without, without it feeling like it's driven from the top. And can you share a specific story of there was this ESG program and we knew it was going to be complicated to push it over here and here, here's basically what that, how that played out. So it's interesting how something that we're going to push out at a, at a global level the ideas or what we're going to do can come from multiple different sources. It can come externally through a conversation with a regulator, or a conversation with a policymaker. It can come internally through a leadership request saying, hey, I think we need to focus, focus on this. So um, one interesting thing would be around that's a hot topic now is ESG, right? Sustainability, climate, that whole, that whole thing. And we're getting a lot of questions from our regulators saying, what do you guys think about this? How is this going to be reported? What's Deloitte thinking? So we're like, all right. And the more you hear questions on, you're like, all right, this is, everybody knows it's a big topic. We're like, all right, if these folks are asking about it, then we need to kind of get, get ahead of that and really kind of pull that together. So while the, the thought and the thinking starts at the global level, that's just the beginning. So if I look at ESG in particular, it is, we may draft a point of view, draft some thoughtware around that, but then it's pulling in the audit side of the business. Do we need to go to our consulting side of the business and get their views and their inputs? Get, if we have people focused on it, which we do, right, on this kind of topic, what's their input into it? And then, so we have that piece at least agreed to at that level. And then it's, all right, if we're going to push this out globally to the lo local jurisdictions, are there local things that we need to consider? Something different in China or India or the US? So it has to be a piece that will kind of fly across all jurisdictions, but maybe add a little, allow for a little bit of flexibility if there is a little bit that a country needs to put in. And so it sounds like two pieces. One, it's a very collaborative approach. It didn't sound, what I heard you say was not, we sit back in the boardroom, figure it out and send it down. No, we are pulling all kinds of different resources into this conversation. Everyone's participating. And then the second thing I heard you say was then, you know, then, then we look to adjust based on a local, um, you know, geographic area, sensitivity, et cetera, et cetera. So does that last piece, do you pull the local group in too for that final, Hey, how do we adjust this to that? Do they also play a role? Yeah. Yeah, they do. What we try, what we try to do is set a baseline, right? So maybe the point of view has a baseline or even our policies, they're a baseline that are apply across uh, the board. And then- yeah add space to say, okay, here's your local, local piece that you can either edit or, or change. Yeah. Yeah. But that that's, I mean, that is, 
involving them in the process, right? Mm-hmm. I love baseline. I don't like any details, so I'm, I'm with you on baseline. Uh, but then they, they participate. They say, great, thanks for the baseline. That guides us to, to, to give us the autonomy to know where we need to now start to go into the weeds on the local details of the market. I love that. I think that's a, it sounds as complex as it sounded like from the outside, you've made it sound a little simpler, actually. I, I know there's complexities, but it does sound like the process actually is not that overly complicated. Yeah. Yeah. It is simple when you think about it, when you think about it like, like that, because there is no one, there's no one that sits at my level in global that's going to know everything across the world. There's no way we can know, understand the nuances, the details of what happens in a local jurisdiction. So we look at it as we need those people because they are the experts. They know what's happening on the ground in their country. Yeah, but but even you saying that, you know, that that's a that's a that speaks to your culture. We know we don't have the answers. We know they are the experts. I mean, and I'm sure sharing that, you know, and the power of that language, I'm assuming that language is also used with them. Hey, local office, we know you're the experts. We know we don't have them. Here's some framework and some guidance. We need your help, right? Is that, let's talk about language and is that language you're using and how powerful uh, are the, is that language? Yeah, yeah. And Ron, I'm a huge believer in the power and the value of language and that words really matter. So it is, I mean, Deloitte has a pretty collaborative culture that's we pride ourselves on on that. And if you think we also like to say we're a bunch of smart people. So we're a people business and there is power in our collective knowledge. So just under that, by kind of broad culture that we have is really how you, it's how you get things done, right? No one's going to do it on their own. And the language piece pretty early on in my role, I'm like, all right, language language matters, little terms, little terms matter. And there's, we've got a person on our team who says always harps on the consistency of your language, that it takes a number of times before it connects and before people actually, actually take hold of it and start using it. But Don, do you have a story? Was there, did you have this mini kind of aha moment? Wow. This didn't land well. Language matters. Where, where, how did you figure that out? It was actually, so while I'd like to say, oh, it was a big global initiative. It was smaller. It was something that had to deal with with our 100 person person team, and we were looking at looking at things we wanted to do for the culture of our team. So not big culture, little culture. Yeah, micro and, versus macro. Yeah, yeah, and given, I mean, everyone's had a rough year this past year, and there's, I mean, we could talk about that for for days. What's that doing for culture and how people have dealt with that? But what we heading into COVID. We were like, all right, for our people, we're going to focus on, we're a high-performing team. We are, this is what we do. This, we deliver and we're great and we're awesome. And then COVID hit and we were like, ooh, do we still use that language, right? We know that's what we are. We know we're delivering, but is it still, do we still use those words in that language or do we kind of pause that? So, so a, just to be clear, the, the language of high performance? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For our team. And do we... Do we still push that as a theme for the for our people and kind of an HR type thing, or do we do we pause it? Okay. And we actually we paused it, and it was it was interesting, right? Because we didn't want to we didn't want the perception out there that oh we're not that anymore, but we didn't want it to seem like we're still pushing hard given what's going on in everybody's everybody's lives. Right. A lot so, of a lot of complexity, a lot of gray area, a lot of personal yeah. struggle. Should we take our foot off the gas? 
Yeah. Yeah. And we knew, I mean, I'm, everyone has faced this, but people were working, right. People were working more. They were yeah. working harder. So we didn't want, <clears throat> we didn't want to overlay. Well, this is because we're a high performance culture. That's why we work harder. And we were like, no, that's not, that's not the right message. And that's not our culture. So right. we, we specifically and deliberately stepped back from high performance culture and focused more on, we didn't, we didn't put a new term out there. We didn't put new language out there. We just kind of altered the focus to more well-being and collaborating and having more fun team time events than the, um, the, Hey, we're a great high performing culture team. Interesting. And how did that land? It worked. It worked. I think it was appreciated that we didn't, we didn't maintain that focus. We still, we still highlighted the great things the team was doing, right? So we still kind of had the, hey, we're still doing all this good stuff. We are still delivering for Deloitte and we're still doing, making all of these great achievements for the firm, but we didn't, we didn't focus on, oh, we're going to do these training sessions and we're going to do this and we're going to focus on promotions and all that stuff that kind of follows a high-performing culture. So it was, it was a subtle, subtle change that I think it worked for us and it was appreciated. Now, I mean, fingers crossed that we're getting through it. Now we feel we can kind of shift, gradually shift back into the, all right, here's how we define our, our high-performing culture. And is that, is that definition changed pre-pandemic to now that we're hopefully getting to the other side? You know, Ron, that's, that's an interesting, interesting question. I think it has. I really think it has because the how we deliver and what people are looking for in their careers has certainly changed over this last 18 months or so. So we are, it will take a fresh look at what that, what high performing means and what, and I actually think what it will mean, it may mean something different to various teams, even down to the individual level. It'll be, it'll be different. Well, it's interesting. We had a guest, Amy HR, on a few episodes ago, and I love this. This was kind of a episode aha moment for him. She talked about just pivoting from the thought of, of the traditional career path to now a success path being very different, mm. right? A success path could be, you know, I joined Deloitte and you have an office in Sweden and I always want to live there. And so that success to me is working from the Sweden office. Uh, maybe it's I've always had this thing to, for ESG and I'd like to be part of a global initiative for ESG, which isn't part of my local audit committee stuff. And so really um, I thought that was very interesting. And I thought, wow, that's what we need to be looking at things. Forget the old join here. Then you're, you know, VP for this area. And then you're executive VP. I feel like that is dying a little bit. And if we connect with individuals, then they get to choose their own success path. What's really giving them energy. What, where do they want to be within the organization and why? And that, that also forces this, you better know your folks. You better have strong relationships to understand these things. What, what do you think? Yeah, that is, that is a really interesting, interesting and insightful, insightful point. And the last thing you said about knowing your people is, is pivotal. I mean, we Deloitte, we are a people business. We don't manufacture anything. We don't produce anything. It is our people. And relationships are key to that. And when I first started at Deloitte many, many years ago, it's one of the first things you hear and you're kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever relationship. But I think you don't realize the value of that. And a relationship is with the individual. It's not with, 
it's not with the team. It's not with Deloitte. It's with some, it's with an individual. Um, right. My first job out of college was with the, um, the Navy, believe it or not, not with Deloitte. And my first boss was a commander in the Navy. He was an aviator. And he said to me, he goes, management by right walking around. That was his thing. He goes, you need to know your people. And you do that by walking the floor, walking the floor, talking to them because they will tell you things. It's not a status meeting. It's not a phone, a Zoom call now to go through what's going on. It's you need to walk around and know your people. Now in this virtual environment, it is a little bit different, mm -hmm. but that I heard that when I first started, but the more I went on, the longer in my career, it kept hitting like management by walking around. You need to know your people. You need to know the individuals. And it's, it's not through a status meeting. It's not through big team meetings. It's talking to them about, right. Hey, how was your weekend? How's the family doing? And then the work stuff kind of comes out from there. Absolutely. You know, it's that, it's that pivot from that, the old open door to what you're saying, open floor, right? Yeah. Policy. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And so I know we talked a little bit about this um, with, you know, even when we were starting to talk about ESG, but how tough is it to execute global initiatives, you know, that, that, that need to balance, I'm assuming you need balance. So if there's a global initiative of diversity inclusion and, and there needs to be some work at the local level, it, it is important. So globals, you know, based on the world today has decided this is the right place to be. But how do we execute that to balance the local office so that it isn't disruptive? Because that's got to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are so busy right now dealing with its audit season and whatever's going on. And now you want us to think about diversity inclusion. I'm using that as an example. How, do, how does Deloitte go about that to find that, you know, to, to, to continue to move initiatives forward, but find balance so we're not disrupting a local office? That's got to be tough. Yeah, yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy. I will, I will fully admit admit that, but it is, it almost comes down to two things. There's prioritization in the local office and there's how much support guidance materials can be provided at that global level. Is it, Hey, we've done all the thinking, we've done all the kind of prep work materials work for you. And then it's a handoff, which makes it right. You're not asking someone, Hey, go, uh, go, here's what we want you to do. Focus on DEI go have at it. It's really, here's the package of materials, which goes to like the baseline of information, the common messaging, the consistency gets handed down and says, all right, now implement this what in a way that makes sense for you locally. That, that makes sense because yeah, less collaborate because collaboration is work, right? It, it's, mm -hmm. if you're asking me at the local office to collaborate, you're, you're asking me to take some focus or attention away from somewhere or something. You're saying, look, in this case, we're going to give you the work. We're not asking you to do the work. You know, this is an issue. We've done all the legwork. We've been into the weeds. We've created this. And, and now we're, we're essentially handing it off to you. Yeah. Yeah. And even specifically, because DEI is a big one, the ESG, right? There are big ones. But even within my smaller world, it's we develop like a point of view and then share it out. Here's Here's the messaging around it. Here's the message. Here's you can post it on your internet site. You can use it in this type of discussion. So it's really giving them kind of the guidance and the framework to go go use it and, and implement it locally. So what do you think 
Don, what's the next big mountain to climb, right? What, what, do you, what are the big things that, you know, Deloitte's working on today or sees coming up in, in, the, in the short-term future that, geez, this is the next big one we're going to have to tackle? Understanding that all these other things are probably still ongoing, but there's always a bigger mountain to climb. What's that look like? What are your thoughts? You know, I think it's, it's the push for businesses, Deloitte, all of them, to have that purpose, right? And to show show how we fit into society and that we're not viewed as a, the evil business corporations and they only care about profits. It's really, I think that's the next mountain is to show and demonstrate the value and the good that, that businesses provide to, to society. And that's, I mean, if you think about that, that's big. It's theoretical. It is, it's certainly influencing and using language and all that, but it's, it's a big hill to kind of get over that, the perception out there about businesses and what they do versus what they actually are doing. Interesting, right? Because big international corps can be seen as these capitalist you know, organizations that are just looking to drive profits. And you're saying we need to have a local, um, you know, inter interact with 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 local communities and show how we're helping them. So, so really being compassionate to the the local businesses, et cetera. That's a, that's a big, and, and, and that even that's going to change in different geographic areas, right? That'll have these different messaging and, and yeah, that that's very interesting. And so how, how, you know, what conversations are happening to get that moving? What does that look like? And it is, and it's kind of, I feel like I'm saying the same theme that we've been chatting on, but it is, there are things that happen at the global level. So this is Deloitte, like the external branding type conversations and what Deloitte is and what Deloitte does. And then, like you said, locally. So what may happen here in Kansas City, where I am, this is what our community needs. These are the big areas that we want to get focused on. There's, right, there's complete freedom for the Kansas City leadership to say, this is what matters here. So this is what we're going to focus on. This is the community involvement we're going to do. And that may be completely different from New York Mm. or London. Right. So this is this one again, you're 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 going back to, you know, you you've kind of presented a few different strategies and execution. This one is starting at the local level again, right? This one is saying, hey, Ron, in East Coast of Canada, what do you, you know, your team, how do you solve this problem locally? This is a, a key global initiative. We want to connect with business and show that we care. And how do we do that at local level? And then we present back up and and is that kind of how it works? Um, yeah, yeah, I would say that's, that's how it works because there are overarching themes that Deloitte is, is passionate about and, and cares about. So kind of the trickle down is all right for these themes and they're broad, right? Community involvement, um, making better futures for, for students. So there are broad themes and then that you Mm. can execute on locally, but they're broad enough that I don't. I don't think you would get to a location where like, mm, that doesn't resonate here. Or there's not something we could pick up on and kind of align with what's, what's coming down. It's interesting because I think of my own organization and, you know, I feel like there's some similarities, obviously Deloitte being international, more complex, but, but when I, when I think of similarities, I think of, you know, if I had an initiative, I went to a conference and I had an initiative, I would, present that to the team and present some guiding principles around that, the why and just some different things, and then let them, let them execute, get their buy-in and then let them really let them activate and, 
this initiative for themselves. It sounds very similar. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Getting the buy-in is, is key. And I really think that it's part of that Deloitte is collaborative in nature, that that's kind of how the firm has grown up, that it helps us to get get people on board and aligned and excited with, with where things, where things are going and initiatives that might, that might be coming up because you can put your own spin on it locally. You can take it, say, yep. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, we're looking, we're focusing on education and empowering kids or like empowering girls. Oh, you know what we can do here in Kansas city. Oh, we can contact these groups and work with them or, Oh, this certain partner has already has a relationship with this nonprofit. Great. Let's go kind of build on that. Yeah, absolutely. Because they've got the relationships, the community relationships, they connect the community dots. That's great. Yeah. Uh, anything that we haven't talked about, Don, that you think is interesting that uh, for our listeners today, from a Deloitte initiative or anything from, from that perspective? You know, I think we've kind of hit it throughout, but the, the power of culture and the power of language in setting and driving that culture cannot be underestimated. It really, it cannot be underestimated. Mm. And I think of two things when you say that, I think of intentionality, like being very, having, you know, having the right intention. And so using the right language. And then we always talk about everything is by default or design. And if you don't take the time to think of the language, then you default to the reactions of people that are reacting, you know, in their own ways based on not, designing the language properly versus versus being proactive and designing something and being intentional and, and purposeful about that. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. And if I could add on to the intentional piece, it has to be authentic right? as well. And I think those two go, while they may not seem to go hand in hand, they do. They do. You really, that's, I think that goes to the designing to make it you don't want something that feels that people are going to be like, mm, what? I don't understand that. It has to be intentional and authentic. And that think the design goes into creating both of those for you. And just on the authenticity piece, because, you know, if when I hear that, I feel like, oh yeah, you know, it, that's easy, but maybe that's not easy. What are things that we should be thinking about to ensure that it's authentic and things that we should watch out for? You know, what have you seen? I think part of it goes into the who's delivering the message. I think right. there's a lot that goes in. If it's a certain leader delivering a message, do they, do they believe it? I mean, when we moved from compliance to professional obligations, did we have a leader come in who was compliance, 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 and deliver that message? Or did we have other leaders? And we used other leaders to kind of who were more focused on the professional obligation side to kind of deliver that message because you believe them. You'd be like, right. oh, because they deal in that area. Okay, now there's a trust, right? The trust builds with the authentic messaging. So I think, I think more of it has to do with the who's delivering the message. And that could be verbally, it could be the email that kind of drives that authenticity. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. You know, I could see, you know, someone showing up to a local office or someone with zero relationship just saying, here's what it is, that's going to mess around with authenticity, or even the local you know, leader from that office saying, hey, FYI, this is what Global's looking for, versus like, this is really important to us. And just the delivery of that message, you know, whether it's connecting to their own, you know, how do they feel about it? Uh, yeah, one, actually, this is interesting. Um, 
Holly Delaney, who's been a key advisor, she used to be with Zappos. She talked about any time that she was delivering a message. And I think this adds to the authenticity. She would talk about her own concerns like, hey, this is what I think is, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's what I'm going to worry about. Here's what our challenges are going to be with this. And that, you know, I think back to her comment that drives authenticity in the messaging. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Because if you think about when you're talking to your team or whoever, they're looking, right? They're looking at your reaction. They're looking to to what you're saying and how you're saying it. And it is, and I do this myself, it is completely okay to say you don't have all the answers, right? That, I mean, I think that makes you more authentic and it makes you more trustworthy. You can, and to give your own opinion, say, yep, this is what we know. This is where we're headed. Yep, we don't know everything about how we're going to get there. But I mean, I believe we're going to get there. This is how it's going to impact us. And then give them like details about how it's going to impact them. Right. Yeah. Total off. And that, that one key piece of here's what I don't know that is that's, Mm -hmm. that's authentic leadership. I don't have all the answers. I need your help. We need to figure this out together. Yeah. Don, look, thanks so much. This has been incredibly insightful. I think this is going to be great for, for, um, global organizations to listen to. I've learned a ton as I'm, uh, you know, I'm in a chapter two of my career, exited private security. Now I'm building um, workforce, sustainable community housing um, in Canada. We'll, we'll be acquiring assets in the US and then globally. So I've learned a lot and, and I'll be continuing to uh, bug you as I grow this organization. So as my always say, keep your beeper on, right? <laughs> Thanks so much, Ron. Truly enjoyed being here with you today. Thanks, Don. For more information about Dawn, please connect with her on LinkedIn. For more information about the Scaling Culture podcast or our upcoming book and masterclass, Scaling Culture, go to ConnellyOwens.com. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.